Everyone, please take your seat so we can start the meeting. My name is Sean, and I'm an alcoholic. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and all are welcome to attend. We hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers, followed by our information break, and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Jimmy. My name is Jimmy. I'm an alcoholic. This is my home group. It's been my home group for the last 24 years. I'm a pass out, blackout, drunk. I didn't come to AA to get sober. I came with a friend whose name was Eddie that used to work on the job with me and he had to go to rehab for 60 days and after 60 days, he came back, and I came into the office, and I was glad to see Eddie. Eddie looked good. And I said, welcome back, Eddie. How you feeling? The first thing he said to me was, give me a drink. I didn't know anything about AA. So, of course, I went to my locker. I poured him a styrofoam cup of vodka. I gave it to him. He drunk it, and he passed out. And I caught him, and I set him back in his seat. When he came around, he looked at me, and the first thing he said to me was, where's the drink? And I called him everything but the name his mother gave him. Right? And then he said to me, he said, Jimmy, do me a favor. I said, what's that? He says, uh, take me to AA, I've got to go to AA meeting. I said, sure, I'll go to AA meeting with you. Of course, the disease that I was in alcohol, I never even thought about AA. You know, I, I want to say this though. I don't say that I love AA. I don't say that I found the higher power in AA. But I'm 80 years old now. I was drinking for at least 40 years with no corners and no way out. And I covered pain for 40 years. And I came to AA, the Atlantic Group. And I met one of the founders and her name was Peggy. The other founder's name was Van. And she told me something. She said, you know, Jimmy, she said, welcome to Bill W.'s University of Alcoholism. <laughs> okay? And she said, you know, what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to sit up front with me so that what you'll do is you'll get to hear the message. I sat in that seat for 24 years next to her. 
age takes the, the best part of us, you know? But it saved my life. So get a sponsor. I got a sponsor. His name is Joe. He's in Arizona now. He moved to Arizona, and the first thing I did, I picked up a resentment. <laughs> and I told him, you, you're deserting me. And we had a discussion, <laughs> you know. And I could understand it. Joel is still my sponsor. Anytime I have a problem, I call Joel. I mean when I have a problem. Because it's something he taught me. You're going to have to learn how to stay sober on your own. Because as your sponsor, I'm not going to always be there. And I'm not going to always say the things that you want to hear. And from that, I learned a lesson. One day at a time. That sounds like a real nice cliche, you know. Oh, yeah, we'll do it one day at a time. Believe me, it's not that. One day at a time means just that doing it one day at a time. I came into a, I had a, I'm what you call a blackout drinker. No, serious. I came into a with, with, with the ultimate of blackouts that I think a human being should experience. And they relieved me of that. Because when I came in here, I really had something that was tearing at my soul. And I had to share that. They said, what is it? No matter what it is, we'll be there with you. And you know what that was? One night I was on my way home. I had been out drinking all day. And I was coming down the block, and noise and people screaming always set me off in a panic and scared me. And I heard this voice, and I heard these kids crying and screaming. And the thing of it is, when I recognized it, it was my mother's voice. I wanted to run, not towards them, but in the other direction. But instead, I went towards them, and my nightmare began. Because I woke up the next day, I was in prison. I didn't know why. I asked one of the inmates, I said, so, can you find out why I'm in here? He says, yeah, Jimmy, he says, I'll check it out for you. And he went, he came back. He said, 
the other night, you killed the man. Devastating. He had to, I was one of these good guys, and I wound up killing someone, and I had to carry that with me for years until I came into AA. And I got to resolve it. I got to sit down with my sponsor. I got to look at it. I got to see where it came from. I know today, from hearing an AA, what my, what my disease is. And I can only speak about my disease. And when I heard Clancy say that I had a knowledge of the body and an obsession of the mind, and if I had that first drink, the obsession of the mind would take over and I'd take another drink and another drink and another drink. I was 55 when I came into AA. I'm 80 now. And I've been sober since. That's what it's taught me. But it's taught me this too, one day at a time. I said in that front row when it said, you listen to learn and learn to listen. That's not a quote, a cliche. You sit there and you know what I learned? As I heard the stories being told up here, I learned what it was to feel pain. And that's why I always say, if I speak here, that's what I feel. I feel pain. I hear the story, but I feel the pain. And for that, I thank you for the gift. And our second speaker is Joanna A. Okay. Hi, um, I'm Joanna, I'm an alcoholic. Um, this is my first time speaking at my home group and it's uh, an honor. Um, I'm really grateful to be an alcoholic and to be able to do this. Um, so my sobriety date is July July 18, July 17, 2018. Um, I have a sponsor, I'm a sponsor. I've done the steps and I'm going through the steps again. Um, and I guess with that, I just start with, um, so I'm from Ecuador, that's where my story began. Um, I grew up in a household with a single mom, a dad who immigrated here when I was like two, so I did not remember a thing about my dad, um, I remember feeling just really uncomfortable since I was really young and just like finding different ways to try to get out of myself um, and not be in my body. Um, and then at age seven or eight, uh, I had my first drink at a party uh, and everybody thought it was really funny, so I kept sneaking drinks. I kept going in the kitchen, skipped sneaking drinks, and I got drunk, and everybody thought it was hilarious. Um, uh, I grew up in a Catholic school, all girls, so the, 
idea of alcohol and drugs being a sin and you're going to hell, it was something that was ingrained in me since really young and I wanted to stay as a way as possible as, as I could. Uh, and so I developed an eating disorder instead. Uh, so that kind of got me through my child, childhood. Um, and then when I was uh, 15, I had enough and I said, I'm gonna drink. So I drank, uh, blacked out, almost got expelled from school. Uh, my mom saved me like she usually did. And then at age 15 and a half, I immigrated here with a dad I didn't know, and a stepmom and a brother, I had no clue who they were. Um, so, continue with my eating disorder, and I had no idea what I, what I, was, gonna, what I was gonna do. I was just lost, really. Um, when I came, of course, I didn't speak the language, it was really hard, went to high school, and immediately found my crowd. Um, uh, I went from high school to high school. I, I, I was in like three different high schools or four different high schools in like a matter of like four years. Um, I went through social services. Um, I went to live with an aunt. Oh my God, it's just, the list goes on. Uh, and finally, I picked up a drink at age 22. And I was like, oh my God, thank you. Like finally, like this is what I needed. Um, and just the chaos and the toxic uh, life style that I had lived in, it just got worse. Like, it just started getting even worse. Um, then, you know, just throw a few geographics in there, went to Florida, and was hanging out with a whole bunch of people like me. Uh, and if you drank more than me, then the better for me, because then that continued to deny I continue to deny myself that I was an alcoholic and that I had a problem. So my best friend, who happens to be one of us now, she um, find a way into AA by one of our mutual friends. We were going to uh, we were going to a Rolling Stone concert one night, and one of our friends, who unfortunately passed away of this disease, he called me and he's like, I cannot go to the concert because I'm an alcoholic and, and I can't, I, I just can't, my sponsor's not letting me. And I had no idea what he meant, but I just heard alcoholic. So I was like, Carol is an alcoholic, like you need to help her. Um, and of course, like they uh, talked to each other uh, and she got sober and, and I saw something in her um, that changed. She had, a, she had a light to, her eyes and a happiness that I wanted that I just could not achieve and get anywhere. Uh, so I went to Florida instead and drank some more. Um, <laughs> then I came back um, and I was lost. Uh, and in Florida, I started drinking and my eating disorder was like gone. And I'm like, I'm cured. But then the minute I moved back to New York, thank you, the minute I moved back to New York, um, I, I just picked up everything all over again. Just started drinking and just everything, guys, just everything. Um, and then at this point, I'm homeless. I have nowhere to live. And I found this basement in, somewhere in Westchester. 
And at this point, I'm all by myself, drinking alone, uh, miserable, uh, hooking up with all people everywhere. And um, <laughs> um, I'm trying to be honest. That's what happened. Um, and um, and um, so I had enough. And my friend Carol, who is at NAA, she says, come with us to Vermont. We're going to a trip. And there were a whole bunch of alcoholics there. And they're like, let's have an open meeting. Oh, you want to share? And of course, I start crying. I'm like, well, how dare you talk to me? You would share what? Like, what are you talking about? And of course, I had an intervention there. They're like, OK, like, you have a problem. Like, what is it? I'm like, I have an eating disorder. So um, of course, I went to another fellowship for that. And that sort of, um, that sort of uh, put me into this 12-step program type thing. Uh, and that did not work. Uh, that fixed my eating disorder. I went to rehab, all their stuff for that. But I was still miserable. I was still drinking. I was still living the same life that I had been living uh, for that for all of those years before. So that wasn't it. And um, I just what, had this need for somebody to come into my life and fix me. Um, and no one was doing that for me. So. Because the sponsor at my other fellowship couldn't do it, I started drinking again. So I drank again, because I, I, I managed to stir, stay dry for a little bit. But then the minute she dropped me, because I was defiant, she called me, uh, I, I started drinking again. And that's when I had that feeling that everyone talks about, like that oh, feeling like finally like I can just breathe and this monkey in my mind is stopping and like I am not listening uh, to this voice go on in my head about this should be like this or this should be like that or why are you doing this or why are you doing that and that escalated really fast in a matter of a, of a week or maybe two weeks I was blacked out drunk and at Bryan Park uh, I, I don't know like flirting with some pastor that uh, the next day happened to text me, Jesus is going to save you. Um, and that got me to a name meeting. Um, so I went into a name meeting because uh, that was the last step for me. I didn't really, I honestly did not want to call myself an alcoholic. That was the last, time, the last thing I wanted to do. But um, I went into a meeting, got a sponsor, started doing the steps. And when my first sponsor told me, um, do you, do you, I need a sponsee, I need an sponsee, are you willing to do the steps? I had no idea what she was talking about, but I kept saying, yes, 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 like, yes. Uh, and it, it was definitely not me talking to her. It was something bigger than me. Like, it was, it was definitely uh, my higher power, like, God, you know? Um, this thing I don't understand, and I still, after three years in sobriety, three years and a half, I still don't understand what is, but it's definitely bigger than me. And I'm actually doing the steps again with my sponsor. I'm in step three, and she really scared me with that one. She said to me, thank you, uh, make sure you find something that it's a lot bigger than you because you're going to be turning your life and your will to this power. And this is a spiritual program. And that's basically what we need to stay here and continue to do this every single day. And that's what we need every minute of every day 
like yes, Jimmy, it's a day at a time. It's like what we need every minute of every day, what I need every minute of every day to seek, to be able to be sane, because I'm insane, like I am. Uh, but I have this, um, I have all of you and I can relate and this is the only place that I feel like I belong and I am a part of and I don't know why I feel like I'm gonna cry, but thank you so much. I really appreciate that you're listening and that's all. Awesome. Good evening, my name is Kim and I'm an alcoholic. Now, as was said, this meeting is open to anyone. However, we are an anonymous fellowship and ask that what you hear and whom you see remain here. And our main speaker tonight is Paul M.Q. Hi, everyone. My name is Paul. I'm an alcoholic. It's good to be here and it's good to be sober. Welcome, everybody, on coming in from Zoom. I want to thank the Atlantic Group for giving me the opportunity to come here tonight and do service. It's a great honor, a great privilege, and one I don't take lightly. And uh, thank you, Jimmy and Joanne, for a great start to the meeting. And uh, I almost feel like, you know, I love the Atlantic Group. It's a special place in my heart. I've been here many times and been up in the big book weekend. So it's come, good to come in here and see some old faces. But, you know, the love, one thing about AA... You walk in here tonight, it's only, Alcoholics Anonymous is the only place I know in the world that you can walk in a room full of strangers and start reminiscing, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, <laughs> you know we just, I just belong here, you know? I mean, I, I, in the outside world, if I want to know something about somebody, I have to ask them, where did you grow up and where do you work and so forth. Not an AA. You tell me you're an alcoholic, I know enough. <laughs> I know you've experienced terror, frustration, bewilderment, despair. I know you put a drink to your lips as the tears roll down your face and you drank it anyway. I know that friends and family and loved ones, in my case, sometimes on bended knee, ask me not to drink. And for goodness sake, at the end of my drinking, I drank against my own will. I know that because you tell me I'm an alcoholic, and I know that because I'm an alcoholic. And in that, there's more unites us than ever divides us. So if you're new here tonight, welcome home. Welcome home. You hear these things, you know, 10, you know, and there's some new people, 10 questions if you're an alcoholic, 20 questions if you're an alcoholic. This might sort of clear it up for you. There's a guy, he's 25 years sober, and he's out on a blind date with a normal drinker. And she's having a glass of wine, he's having a glass of water. About halfway through the dinner, she says, I notice you don't drink. He says, no, I don't drink. She goes, you don't drink at all? He says, not at all. She goes, not even one drop? He says, not even one drop. She says, what would happen if you took a drink of my wine? And he sat back and he said, just imagine you wake up tomorrow morning. Your money's gone. Your credit cards are gone. You look out the window and your car's gone. She says, that would happen to you if you took one drink. She said, no, it happened to you if I took one drink, you know? <laughs> and if you think that's funny, you're probably an alcoholic, you know? <laughs> and if you don't, I can recommend the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon, but uh, we'll move on quickly. I love Al-Anon, just kidding. I'm not here to sell Alcoholics Anonymous tonight. It sells itself. This is attraction, not promotion. But I'll tell you this, and I don't mean cash and prizes. You cannot get where I'm standing tonight from where I came from without AA. It's an impossible journey. And why do I continue to come to AA? I know how the movie goes, but I wouldn't miss it. To see someone walking into a meeting on the worst night of their life, 
and be given the grace not to drink. And Alcoholics Anonymous is so much more than grace. It's mercy. And the definition of mercy I like the best is entering into the chaos of another person's life. And back in August of 1992, the few people left in my life were going that way. The only people coming this way was Alcoholics Anonymous. And they carried this message. My message might even keep me sober. And what is the message of Alcoholics Anonymous for anybody that's new here tonight? When complete defeat through alcohol, step one. I got a body that won't let me drink and a mind that won't let me stop. One drink creates a thirst I can't quench. When I try to control my drinking, I don't enjoy it. And when I start to enjoy my drinking, I can't control it. As I said, and this is a, a testament to the power of AA, with your help, I haven't had a drink since August 20th of 1992. I hope I never forget one drink tonight, destination unknown. And these people took me from step one, a place of powerlessness and a manageability, not to a place where I'm powerful in step 12, but a place where I have access to power 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and a limited supply. And I love AA. We all belong here. We're all here. Look around. James Joyce, the Irish writer, he's talking about Dublin. But it's so indicative of Alcoholics Anonymous. In one of his books, he says, here comes everybody. We're all here. Gender, color, creed, doesn't matter. We're all alcoholics here and Alcoholics Anonymous. You know? And we all belong here. We all have our stories to tell. Ernest Hemingway says, all writers tell the same story. All alcoholics tell the same story. The terror, the frustration, the bewilderment and despair. I don't know why I'm an alcoholic, but there's been two turning points in my life as clear as between these seats. Before I drank and when I drank. I can remember taking that first drink. Bill Wilson sums it up in his story. He says he discovered liquor. Not alcoholics don't discover liquor. They either drink or they don't drink. Bill Wilson discovered liquor like he's like. And that's the way I felt when I took my first drink. You know, I felt like, who was it that jumped out of the bath naked when he discovered specific gravity? Archimedes. I, well, I didn't run down the street naked. A few months later, I was doing that. You know, not the first night, you know. But I took that first drink. The stone came out of the shoe. The knock came out of the stomach. My life went from black and white to color in one drink. Non-alcoholics drink because what alcohol does to them. Our book talks about it. A social lubricant. A sense of conviviality and companionship. Not me. I drink because what alcohol does for me. Alcohol does something for me that it doesn't do for a normal or even a heavy drinker. One drink changes how I feel about me, you, and this. And that's why I'm going to come back for more. And even from the very early days, there was consequences to my drinking. But I will dismiss, discount, disregard the consequences of what alcohol is doing to me because of what alcohol is doing for me. And I took that. I've heard people tell different stories. They've had a modicum of success. In the, not me. I came out of the starting blocks at 15. I grew up, this may come as a shock to some people here tonight, but I'm not from the neighborhood originally, you know. 
It's about 35 years now since I left my native Cuba. And uh, <laughs> I'm from Belfast in Northern Ireland, the sort of neighborhood I came from. If you didn't drink, you moved. Everybody drank. I didn't know anybody that didn't drink. But I took that first drink within six months. I'm getting my stomach pumped out on a school night. And they told my mother, it's a good job you brought him here. He would have probably died of alcoholic poisoning. Before I'm out of my teens, I'm a daily drinker, if I have the money. Before I'm out of my teens, I'm a morning drinker, if I have the opportunity. And it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. But if you're new here tonight, sobriety's progressive as well. And as far now as you go with drink, you can come back up in air. Now, I'm not going to stand up here like some snake oil salesman. I promise you the moon and the stars. There's things I lost through drinking, and they didn't come back. And there's things that you might have lost through drinking, and they might not come back. Thank God for this program. Who among us could live with the guilt and the shame and remorse of our drinking if it wasn't for the 12 steps to alleviate that? I wasn't a sociopath. I knew the bridges I burned, the doors I slammed, and the people I walked away from. I can't change my past, but these steps helped me to come to terms with my past. My life's fallen apart in short order in Northern Ireland. I'm a working class Catholic from the wrong side of the tracks. We've got a low level civil war going on, euphemistically referred to as the Troubles. I'm blaming, uh, you know, a big chip on my shoulder. In fact, when I got to AA, a guy says to me, You know something? You're a well-balanced guy. I thought, finally, somebody that knows what's going on around here. He said, yeah, you got a chip on both shoulders, you know? Hated everything, hated everybody. Could always find the needle in the haystack. So I'm blaming Northern Ireland. See, that's the story of my life. I'm always looking for an outside fix for what's an inside job. If I can just get the right country and the right continent, the right relationship, you get the alcoholics and almost the first 90 days you find out it's an inside job. I work these steps and things out there will naturally fall into place where they're meant to be. But I'm blaming Northern Ireland. I come home to my father one night, typical alcoholic, dramatic. I said to my father, sit down. I got some bad news for you. He says, what is it? I said, I'm going to America and don't try and talk me out of it. He says, talk you out of it, I'll help you pack. <laughs> on you go Columbus you know <laughs> let me give you some following advice turn left at Greenland you know <laughs> I ended up in New York and Rockaway Beach some of you may know Rockaway Beach it's a big Irish American neighborhood some people call it the Irish Riviera <laughs> we know it better in AA as cirrhosis by the sea there's more alcoholics per square foot. In fact, there's two types of people in Rockaway Beach. Those that are in AA and those that should be in AA, you know? <laughs> the water finds its own level. You could have blindfolded me and put me in a sack. I'm going to find a neighborhood that drinks as much, if not more, than the one I just left. I've got to go into all ins and outs of it. I end up getting a job as a bartender. I was the worst bartender in the worst bar in Rockaway Beach. There was some pretty stiff competition, but I pulled it off. These people look like you drank in nice bars. I worked in a bar that had a bouncer on the door, but he was there to throw people into the bar, not throw them out of the bar, you know? You know the sort of a bar, if you want to see a full set of teeth, 
You need 32 customers, you know that type of place, you know. And forget about ladies' night. Most of the women that come into the bar, they look like they put their makeup on when they were jumping up and down on a trampoline. It's like over here, back over here. But what, I, I, you know, I had my first hospital. I'm in this job. I work from 6 at night to 4 in the morning. I'm in a job where I can literally walk behind the stick at 6 o'clock at night and drink all night. At the end of my drinking, I couldn't even get there. What's the old saying in AA? Booze give me the wings to fly. And then it took away the sky. Fears and phobias and hang-ups, neurosis, couldn't ride elevators, forget about the subway. Walls closing in. Hit my first hospital, I said, when I was 24, collapsed an alcoholic seizure. By the time I'm 27, my life's falling apart. And I'm trying to stop drinking. You know what AA is I can never thank AA enough for? They've given me something between me and the first drink. Before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had nothing between me and the first drink. Right here, right now, you'll hear some people saying, hey, uh, oh, you're just an arm's length away from a drink. I suppose that's true. But right here, right now, I don't know about tomorrow, but right here, right now, I'm 12 steps away from a drink. And that's a quantum leap from when I first walked in here. But don't get me wrong. I found it the hard way. These are not 12 steps up to anything. They're 12 steps down to humility. I've seen people drink again in AA that I thought would never drink again. And that tells me it's a daily reprieve, not a lifetime pardon. And the day that I think I've got sobriety in my back pocket is the day I'm getting ready to get drunk again. But right here, right now, I'm safe and protected, as it says in this book. 12 steps away from a drink. It's an amazing thing, this disease. The last years of my drinking, I hope they were 27 to 30, were after I made a firm conviction not to drink again. But as I said to you, I would come out of a hospital vowing. I remember getting brought to Peninsula Hospital in Rockaway in an alcoholic seizure after being drunk for about 10 days. And I come out of that hospital and they give me some Librium to get me down off the ceiling and there's a woman standing by the bedside and we had this on again, off again relationship. And I took her hand and I wasn't trying to be cinematic, but I said to her, I can't drink. It's obvious I can't drink and I will never, ever drink again. As Bill says in the story, self-knowledge, surely that's the answer. Not for a guy like me. Knowing I'm an alcoholic will not keep me sober. Step one alone is good information, but it won't keep a guy like me sober. I need everything that's on offer here. And if you're new here tonight, maybe the steps feel like a, a foreign concept of these traditions. We have a symbol in AA. It's a triangle inside a circle, and there's three parts to it. Unity, service, and recovery. And I believe from your very first meeting, if you're new here tonight, you can put all three parts of that triangle into your life. Unity. We do together what I can't do alone. Many meetings make it easy. Few make it hard. None make it impossible. I need you and you need me. As my dear friend Liz B would say, without you, there will be no me. Service. 
They told me the highest paid grade in AA is servant. You put away one more chair than the one you sat on, you're doing service in AA. Recovery, maybe the steps seem like a foreign concept. We have slogans in AA. Easy does it. Live and let live. They were like the banisters to the steps. As I put my foot on step one, they were like the banisters. I'm here to tell you from personal experience. Thank you, Jim. You can stay dry in two parts of the triangle. I've done it. You can even stay dry in one part of the triangle. I've done that too. But if I want to be free from the one person I could never get free from, which is me, and live in the one place I could never live, which is right here, right now, I've got to put all three parts into my life, and I've got to do it every day. But what a small price to pay for the life that A has given me. A is the only place I know you get to live two lives in one lifetime. But this disease is so cunning. I was in Vegas, sir, over the weekend. I don't gamble, but I like to watch, you know. And, uh, <laughs> and Caesar's Palace, you know, off to the side room, the guys were playing. You remember you see them on TV playing high stakes, Texas Hold'em. And the guy gets up, but he gets all his chips, and he says, I'm all in. What a great metaphor for Alcoholics Anonymous. You've got to be all in. And you've got to be all in every day. Because I found out the hard way, the disease of alcoholism is all in every day. It wasn't like, oh, there's a pandemic. I'll see you in a year when there's a vaccine. It came on even harder, trying to separate me from the circle. I've got to stay right in the middle of Alcoholics Anonymous. It talks about in our book, the old ancient theory in chapter 4 of the flat earth. In some respects, the AA world is a flat earth. If you go to the edge of AA, you go off. And the thing about going to the edge of Alcoholics Anonymous, you don't realize you're going to you're gone. It's a drift, almost a glacial drift. And by the time you get to the edge of Alcoholics Anonymous, if there's any signposts, they're in a language you don't speak anymore and a language you don't understand anymore. Because we speak a certain language in here, the language of the heart. One alcoholic talking with another. My disease likes to speak the language of the head. My disease operates from the neck up. My disease wants me talking to me about me. <laughs> That's a conversation I can't have. That's a conversation that never ends well. I love what it says in our literature. I hope I never talk to an alcoholic. I hope I never talk at an alcoholic. I hope and pray I never get up on the spiritual hilltop and talk down to an alcoholic. It's one alcoholic talking to another. These ladies in the Pacific group, a former member of that group would say, this disease, it tells me I'm different, I'm separate, I'm unique, nobody understands me, my case is different. No, it's not. I'm an alcoholic and I belong in here. Let's so say I came out of that hospital that time if you'd have put me on a lie detector machine leaving the hospital, I would have passed with flying colors. I thought this is it at a visceral level. But I left that hospital. I really didn't know what the problem was step one. I thought I did, but I didn't. I really didn't know what the solution was step 12. And I none of these good people to bring me between the two. One more time, it was me against the first drink. And up in this moment in time tonight, I have, in single-handed combat, 
I have never. So I said, I left that hospital. Remember, I left that hospital, Varen, I wouldn't drink again. But I'll tell you, up in this moment in time tonight, I've never beaten an obsession to drink in single-handed combat. I've gotten in the ring many times. But it's like getting in the ring with a heavyweight champion. A child could say, don't get in the ring. But don't get in the ring means don't take the first drink. And I don't know how not to take the first drink. So I keep getting back in the ring. Perhaps you can identify. And I tell myself, the epitaph of the alcoholic, it'll be different this time. I'll watch it. It was her. It was him. It was this. What I don't realize, the fight is fixed. I'm never going to win this fight. Thank God I've been, I've been surrendered to the bottle by the bottle. There's nothing left in a drink for me, only pain, trouble, and misery. Isn't it so good in life to know who you are and where you belong? I'm an alcoholic, and I belong in Alcoholics Anonymous. And everything I need to know, I found out at my first meeting. My name is Paul, and I'm an alcoholic. Because that tells me who I am, what I am, where I am, what I need to be doing. And if I make that the central fact of my life, things around me may not be okay. If I'm waiting for things around me to be okay, but I will be okay. That's been my experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. So as I said there, bottom after bottom, and then the magic happened. I love when someone's telling their story and it goes down and it goes down. And then they say the most beautiful words in an air qualification. And then. I sit up because I know the higher powers come in the next sentence. There's not a person in here tonight, sober one day or more, that hasn't had an and then moment in their life. And this is mine. In an apartment, door locked, drinking around the clock, against my own will, playing the saddest blues music I can get my hands on. Here's the sort of songs I would listen to, like the great Warren Zevon. If you won't leave me, I'll find somebody at will. Sort of songs alcoholics like to listen to, you know? Or the Alan on version of that song. If you leave me, can I come too, you know? I'm just joking, I'm just joking. And a piece of paper come under my door. I thought it was an eviction notice. And it had a guy's telephone number on it. Now, it's strange enough, a piece of paper coming under the door. The stranger part is, I called the number. Because I'm Irish, stoic, don't tell nobody nothing. I'm a closed circuit. Nothing's getting in and nothing's getting out. And this guy picked up the phone. He was praying I might call. And him and another guy were from the old South Bronx group here in New York. And that group had a mantra, we don't give up on anybody. And they came over to my apartment I didn't go to Skid Row, but I brought Skid Row to me. You know how we live. Bottles everywhere. And I thought they were going to come over and talk about my drinking. Because that's, who, that's all I would hear in the last, you know, people. Hey, Paul, we need to talk about your drinking. And I'd nod my head. I'd be thinking, I wish they would go away so I can go drink again. But not with these two men. They came over to my apartment and they didn't talk about my drinking. They talked about their drinking. And they told story after story of their drinking. And then the magic happened. Our most prized possession in AA, identification. They talked about them, and I found out about me. As Dr. Bob says in his story when he met Bill Wilson, it was the first guy he had ever met in his life that he felt fully understood him 
and not because he read it in a book somewhere. That's how I felt. And I said to this guy, Jerry, I can't live one more day like this. He says, you don't have to live one more day like this. And about 36 hours later, I got bookended into a car and got brought to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous in Rockaway Beach, New York. And walking in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous is the greatest singular event in my life. Everything else was secondary and tertiary. And I'm so glad there wasn't somebody standing at the door with a clipboard saying, Paul, check the box for what you want. I would have checked the box for not drinking. Boy, would I have shortchanged myself. Yes, I got that. But I got so much more. I got you back. I got me back. And I got him back. And I lost a whole lot. I would like to tell you in the next few minutes, when I went to that first meeting, I left that meeting and someone said to me, well, and I said, I found something. I didn't know what it was that night, but I know tonight what it was. It was hope. What is alcoholics numbers? You put all this in the refiner's fire and bring it down to its purest form. What is alcoholics numbers? It's hope in human form. This group's unbelievable. God works through people. People get people sober. I haven't seen God in a meeting yet, but I know he's here tonight. And the spiritual conduit that he uses is the fellowship of AA. You know the old joke in AA? You know what's going on in here later tonight? Nothing. But there's something going on in here now. And everybody's got worth and value. Whether you're sober one day or 50 years, this is the only place in the world with a whole it's greater than the sum of the parts. And it's God's economy. And everybody's got worth and value. One day, a month, a year. And we all come in here and we all put it in the middle. And as John Kenny, a rising tide lifts all boats. And that's so true. I would like to tell you in the last few minutes here that I took the ball and I scored a touchdown. I came in here. Our book says, let go absolutely of all your old ideas. And I came in here with a lot of old ideas. Barroom mentality. Barroom mentality that might serve me well at 3 o'clock in the morning in some gin mill, but we're not helping me in here. And I'm here to tell you, you can fill it with the coffee pot at 7.30 at night. How's it going, Paul? It's going wonderful. You know when untreated alcoholism will come to visit me? 2 o'clock in the morning. The could-haves, the should-haves, the would-haves, the guilt, the shame, remorse, another sleepless night and quote-unquote sobriety. And every night, this book would appear magically on my bedside table. Not the big book. This book was called Where I Should Be in My Life by Now by Paul McQuaid. <laughs> you start reading that thing with no drink and no program, you're going to put a rope over the rafters. And a guy came up to me one night at a meeting, not my sponsor. He says, Paul, can I talk to you? I said, sure. She said, you're dying. And you're dying right in the middle of AA. You're like a starving man at a spiritual banquet. There's all this food on offer, and you're living here in bread and water. That's exactly what I was doing. And against my better judgment, in fact, everything that's helped me in AA has been against my better judgment, I get into the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Is it nice to do the steps and find out who you are and who you're not? Yeah. Get a full knowledge of your condition? Yeah. I think somewhere, someday, I'm going to be asked one question. What did you do with the gift for you? 
It's not going to be, did you bring the Ferrari? It's going to be, what did you do for the, with the gift that was given to you? You know, my life caught on fire when I turned around and tried to help another man. That's when great events came to pass in my life. Being part of that chain. Bill Wilson's sober date was December 11th, right? 1934, up in Towns Hospital in Central Park West. And he had this thought of a chain of drunks, one drunk helping another. That's what I asked myself in my TED step. How strong is my link in the chain? The people ahead of me, and more importantly, the people behind me. And my life today, I come into alcoholics now, I didn't even have a high school diploma. 32 years of age. Went back to school in AA, got a diploma, got a degree, another degree, two graduate degrees, became a teacher, then became a special education teacher. All the benefits of a sober life. Alcoholics Anonymous gives you the ability to take on long-term goals and chip away at them one day at a time. If you're new here, nothing beats a feeder but a try. And all AA has ever asked me to do is to try. They never count how many times you fall down. They just say, are you willing to get back up again? Let me help you. And we trudge this road together. And I think sometimes about my drinking, especially this time of the year. If you'd have come to my house or my apartment 30 years ago, I remember sitting there, and I'm drinking around the clock against my own will. I'm not drinking for any good times. I'm drinking for unconscious time. If I can just keep up this vodka down, maybe I can pass out for a couple of hours. And I know what real life looks like. It's outside the window. I see people going to work, and, but I can't, I can't do it. I can't do life on life's terms. That's what you would have seen if you'd have come to my apartment 30 years ago. You come to my house tonight, you'll see life happening. Not a perfect life, but you'll see life happening. This won't give you a perfect life, guys. If you're new here today, sobriety is like a roller coaster. It goes up and it goes down. Just don't get off. Stay on. I think of my life tonight. I was in the city last Sunday with my 19-year-old, 17-year-old daughter, and my three-year-old daughter. I know what you're thinking. I don't look old enough to have a three-year-old daughter. I don't understand. <laughs> and we're getting photographs taken, F.O. Swartz and whatnot. And I stood there. I was showing some of the guys the photographs of my two daughters and my wife. And I said to myself, I'm like George Bailey. I'm the richest man in New York City. I don't have a lot, but I have things, real value. Oscar Wilde said he knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me days like last Sunday. Clancy used to be the golden memories. A has given me a lot of golden memories, far more than I deserve. If you're new here tonight, come all the way in, sit all the way down. There's a miracle here with your name on it. Nobody can take it for you or from you. Come in and start to live the life that your higher power always wanted you to live. That's all I'll say. My name is Rich, I'm an alcoholic, and tonight I'm covering for our chair, Deborah. Let's thank tonight's speakers, Jimmy, Joanna, and Paul.